Welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two 40-something geek dads. I'm David Moore. I love woodworking, uh, but it is way too cold in my garage to work on anything except for freezing. Uh, also, the weather must be changing since I do have a headache again, and uh, I'd really like to trade that in for a, the sore knee that, in the anecdotes, but not. Uh, it's my head. And uh, and I'm Ken Newquist, and I can appreciate your your head pain. I think I will get that when it starts warming up around here in the in the Lehigh Valley, and we get all of the allergies. The wave of allergens comes sweeping down into mm-hmm. the Lehigh Valley. Mm-hmm. We are apparently legendary for this. Uh, and I'm back out in the cold uh, to train for 12 days of backpacking this summer. Uh, this is Philmont round two. Hopefully, we're actually going to get to go. And uh, I have found that 20 degrees isn't so cold when you're running. Just just don't stop running is, is really the secret. <laughs> Definitely so not. What strange new rooms have you ventured into in the lair? Since uh, we last we spoke? I stumbled into another library. Um, this time uh, I've, I've actually read quite a lot since we last talked. Uh, it's been a little while since we last talked. Uh, we kind of got a little lost in the, in the lair to bring this show to all of you out there. Uh, I've have written, written i have not written what are, what are we talking about <laughs> no i read harrow the ninth uh which is the sequel to gideon the ninth it's by tamison mirror uh it it was enjoyable uh but it wasn't quite as fun as gideon the ninth uh it i am still it was still enjoyable enough that i will be reading the next book in the series but the uh there was a lot of purple prose they since i'm not going to spoil either book but the main character in this is harrow uh or harrow hark uh and she thinks differently than gideon did so we're in her head for this book but there's a lot of purple prose there's a lot of like hundred dollar words in there uh and things like that 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 it didn't it kicked me out of being in the world because I had like, I, it's not that I didn't understand what the words were. It was just, this is much, the vocabulary was so different, uh, that, and, and there was a lot of extra in my mind, like a lot of extra explanation. It, like, that's why I said purple prose, you know, it's, it's paragraphs of it sometimes. Um, and the fact that, how do I not spoil it? Uh, there's a lot of jumping around locations and possibly times. Um, and so that mixed with the purple prose made the book in certain places very difficult to read. It was not as can't put it down as Gideon the Ninth. I can appreciate that. I, a couple of years ago, I read uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's 2312 and okay. did not have necessarily have the, the purple prose thing, but he had all of these cultural references and I got some of them. I was actually <laughs> reading the print book and I was reading it on vacation with no internet. And so it's a very, oh my gosh, it's a very odd experience, right? Cause you're used to just having, uh, like, I don't know what this is. So I'll just go look it up. Mm-hmm. Even when I got back, it's like, you know, you're pausing every three pages to go and get this reference because, you know, they're whistling some, some, uh, symphony that I don't recall. Um, mm. not really up on my symphonies. Right. But it's right. it, every time I had to do that, it kind of took me out of the book and it took me forever to read the book. I think it took me like all of August to get through it. Cause it just kept hitting these pieces that just threw me out of the book. Yep. Yep. And I, like, I mean, it's been forever since I read it, but like 
two towers by Tolkien uh, was the same way. There would be, I think it was the very first book that I had read way back when junior high uh, that I would, I, I skipped whole chapters because I just, I'd get a couple, a page or two into the chapter and it was like, I can't deal with this, but rather than put the whole book down, I'll just skip to the next chapter and keep going. Sorry, people out there. I am not the Stephen Colbert level of Tolkien aficionado. Uh, I know my Tolkien, <laughs> but just not. Probably could do a reread. It's been years, but uh, don't ask me about the Hobbit movies, by the way. So I have, I have, I I have opinions. Um, I'm sure you do. Yeah. So uh, the the next book that I read was Dameron by Seth Skorkowski. Uh, Seth Skorkowski is also a uh, YouTube role playing game uh, YouTuber. That yeah, that's redundant. Uh, personality. <laughs> uh, he's uh, I really like his series, uh, his YouTube series, and he always has one of his books in the background and such, and or or every so often we'll mention it on one of his his uh, episodes. And I really like. Uh, him, so I was like, "Well, let me go ahead and pick it up." And it's a uh, an uh, urban fantasy where there are uh, effectively this spirit inhabiting a, a weapon of power, and one person is basically chosen by the weapon to to wield it. And so, Dameron is the story of a gun with a sword blade because it used to be a sword. Um, that was broken, was reforged into a gun. Somehow the spirit survived that reforging. And it is now modern day and something in in um, the main character is uh, feels supernatural to the other people, the 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 not the other the the organization um, that also takes care of these holy or, or blessed sort of weapons, um, as they, as they like to think of them. So it's, it's interesting. I'm interested in the next one. Uh, the next one seems to be about a different one of the weapons, which I'm a little disappointed in cause I liked the main character. Um, so I'm hoping the main character is in the next one, but I haven't yet picked it up. So, uh, again, uh, that was Dameron, uh, by Seth Skorkowski. I had read, um, Henrik and the shaman, which is the second novel, uh, uh, second novella um, in the Penric world uh, in the world of the five gods setting uh, where Penric is inhabited by this really long lived demon who every time this demon jumps uh, like when the, the host dies the demon will try to jump to another entity um, and Penric is the latest in that line so he's got like the the quirk of this demon is that this demon has inhabited basically like 10 or 14 women and then has jumped to a man. And so he's got uh, all of these female perspectives in his head um, who are very interested in the male perspectives of things because they've never been, this demon's never been a male, but also some of the memories uh, and the personalities from the hosts also go with the demon. And so uh, Penrick and the shaman is a, is a good one. It, they're kind of like little mysteries, little um, 
fantasy mysteries. Just thought it, there was a there's a couple of BBC uh, series with like a monk who's a a mystery solver, and I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it kind of gives that vibe to it, and it's it's good. I like it. Definitely gonna pick up the next one of that. That was it for reading. Uh, I am in the middle of another book right now, uh, The Invisible Library, but I'll give more information on that when we get to it, when I finish it. has a kind of an amber feel with all the multiverse stuff in it, but it's all connected via a giant library, multidimensional library. But moving on, the it's a new year. It's 2021. It, it'll probably be 2022 by the, by the time we get finished editing and get this up on podcast <laughs> yes, that posts. that may entirely be true. <laughs> uh, this is technically episode 13, so uh, we'll see how this how this goes. But I did start a new bullet journal. I, I moved stuff over. Uh, I realized that I've basically just been doing uh, daily to-do lists in it, which is what I had been doing before, before I started bullet journaling. So I'm going to need to kind of reread the method and see if I can be a little more mindful about putting that stuff down. But I do have an entirely separate book, kind of a bullet journal in terms of like how I'm organizing it just for gaming stuff, which speaking of which is going better. The, the Sunday game has actually gone off a few times. We are our Thursday game that we were playing Brindlewood Bay. We're, we're doing a, uh, Ken uh, and a friend of ours uh, and my wife are doing the idea was the Army Corps of Engineers uh, special operations group is uh, hiding the evidence of cryptids from the mass population. Uh, so uh, set in the 19, we set it in the 1950s. We kind of uh, had had this nebulous idea and we kind of built the world and such uh, from that. And it's a, using fate condensed. And uh, I think Ken's going to talk about that, right? I am. Okay. A little bit. I'll, I'll stop talking about this then. Um, but then uh, uh, on Friday, some old friends of mine were like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm GMing uh, this fantasy stuff, but I'm getting kind of tired and burned out with it. And we understand you're having gaming woes. So, hey, would you want to run for us? And we did some polling and stuff like that. So I'm running star Wars D six for them, uh, every so often on Fridays. So that's, and that's been fun. And I just ordered burning wheel today after hearing about it for years and years and years way back in the, when I, we, I was doing the game master show in the very early days of podcasting. I don't know why I never ordered it. Uh, Judd Carlman of, and the inspiration goat of, daydreaming about dragons he was mentioning his burning wheel games and i was like you know what uh, it's about time to pick that up and and take a look at it um so hopefully it will arrive pretty soon yeah so speaking of that i have that okay I can't wait to hear your your thoughts on it i may have to like break it out and and, and look through it again although i have a lot of books <laughs> which i'll be talking about in a little bit but i will yep. totally read that yep. we'll talk about it with you because it was the same thing like i think i got it back in that time and I read through it and my group wasn't in a place to be able to do it. The other one that I was interested in was um, kind of the, the spirit, the spiritual sequel to that burning. I think it's burning empires. I think which that is, sounds uh, right. Yeah. 
So it was a science fiction and and that one was all about like the great sweep of a science fiction empire type thing. And uh, cool. yeah, Burning Wheel is interesting. Like I, I look forward to your take it's, on it. It's It's been many years since I read it, so I do need a refresher. But yeah, it's it's won several awards. Uh, I know several people who say that they they really like the concepts in it. Um, Judd actually runs a game. It's like a two person game, him and one other person using Burning Wheel, uh, which sounds Ooh. pretty cool. Also a little nerve wracking. I've done that once doing uh, Vampire the Masquerade, but uh, after I haven't done it in years and years and years with just a, a two person game from everything I've read. And, and so they actually allow you to download the first chapter of the book, which is which is from what I can tell, almost like the base rules for the entire book. Um, haven't gotten too far into it, but it's a very opinionated uh, <laughs> rule set. Um, and sometimes that's good. You know, it's like, Hey, this is the way this game works. You know, uh, you know, obviously there, there's nothing stopping you from hacking on it or, or changing it. But like they have Luke Crane who, who wrote it has some definite ideas about why burning wheel works the way it does and why it should work the way it does. Definitely interested in getting it in my hands. I ordered the print version. I don't even think there is a PDF version, but but I've got the print version coming. Video gaming. I did. I have played some video games. So <laughs> two of nice. two of note. Um, uh, State of Decay Two, which is a zombie uh, survival ish. It, it it is zombie survival game, but it is. Uh, it's not like uh, Seven Days to Die or Minecraft or or, or uh, Ark Survival Evolved, where you are very freeform building a base. You you basically they made the decision to say here here's this uh, bike shop that has been turned into a fortress that was like overrun or abandoned or whatever. You can move into it and start upgrading it, and then if you outgrow it you can move to another area of the map that has a, like a fire station and you can uh, move a bunch of your stuff from the bike shop over to the fire station. Uh, so it's, it's got a lot of like over the shoulder first person, like cutting up zombies, shooting zombies, sneaking up behind zombies and, and, and stabbing them. And so that's fun. There's a lot of exploration and, uh, and then there's the base building aspect one of the neat things about it is you're not one character you shift between the different members of your community and they all have slightly different abilities. Um, and each of them, the more you play them, the better they get at those abilities. So you want to kind of want to switch between them often. And then when they get hurt, uh, or when they get tired, you have to put them in the infirmary or have to put them to bed. So you have to switch to a different character. Uh, so it's the game makes it i'm sure you could uh play most uh a significant portion of the game is just one character but i found it's a lot of fun to be switching those characters and i've been playing that multiplayer uh with a couple of friends um which makes the game both more fun but also a little bit easier uh because you're (laughs) you you have you can bring an npc with you but you can't do tactics with the npc you know, so like if there's two of us playing, it's like, OK, we know this house is infested with zombies. We're going to have one person out front 
uh, who's going to kind of cause a distraction and another person is going to go in the house from behind and, you know, slowly stealth stealth take out all the zombies um, as the person out front is, you know, being swarmed by other ones. <laughs> you know, it's it's fun. It's a it's a fun game. Uh, if if you are interested, Ken, I would, I would love to play uh, K 2 with you. So unfortunately, the problem I have is I don't have a PC. You don't have a PC. Yeah. That's and I a problem. think I think I checked to see if it would work on the Mac and it wouldn't. So, I mean, I, yeah. I see you guys out playing. And I'm like, should I get a gaming PC? I've been down this road before. Actually, but... I think it's on the Xbox. Ooh, well, then that changes things a little. Is yeah. It, if it's cross platform, that might be. A... I think it is. We'll have to look. We'll have to look. No, that um, might be an option. Because it would be an option. I just realized because it, it requires the Xbox app for the Windows machine to do matchmaking oh. um, and multiplayer. Huh. So well, that bodes well. Um, and it definitely has controller support because my, my friend Chris always uses his controller. Um, whereas to I the use. Internet for research. <laughs> yeah. I, I use the keyboard and mouse when I'm running around with the character. But as soon as I get into a vehicle to drive, I grab for the the controller because <laughs> trying to drive a car in any game with WASD as your only controls is horrible. <laughs> yeah. So I see something else uh, that you want to talk about, which I am totally not playing on Xbox because apparently it's terrible, but maybe better for you on your PC. Cyberpunk 2077. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077. So actually, I kind of got pulled away from Cyberpunk 2077 because State of Decay was multiplayer and, you know, I wanted to play with friends when I play it. Uh, But yes, I played Cyber. I have played Cyberpunk 2077. I have not seen all of the glitches that that people have posted. Uh, I have seen a couple of of NPC. I've seen uh, an NPC or two suddenly teleport in. and and then not move and kind of across the screen without moving their legs. Um, I've seen that. I haven't seen any T pose stuff. Um, haven't seen the continually crashing line of cars. Um, so for the most part, it's been pretty good. I think I've got one mission with. There's an AI that runs a taxicab company in in the game, and he uh, it sends you out on a mission because several of his taxis have gone rogue. So like their personalities have shifted or there's a virus or something like that. And you have to kind of get those taxis and, and return them to the, the main taxi place to find out what went wrong. Uh, and I did one of those missions, but every time I try and do another one, the, my phone rings, but then I, I attempt to pick it up and then nothing happens. And then I can never find the, I find the taxi but then nothing happens with that taxi. There's no, uh, there's supposed to be the rogue AI that's in that taxi is supposed to talk to you, but that never happens. So I don't gotcha. know exactly what's going on with that, but overall it's been pretty fun. Um, I've watched a couple of YouTube videos where people have abused the skill tree to like do 20,000 points of damage with a pistol when they do a headshot. And so I'm, I'm, half doing a little bit of that and half doing what I always do with the games like this that have crafting, which is delve deep into the crafting tree and, and trapping stuff. <laughs> but the story has been really fun and really good. It's a little, I want to mainline the story, but I also want to do the side quests. 
So uh, I've been doing a lot, a fair amount of side quests when I had stopped. And I think that's probably why I haven't picked it back up yet again, because I, I should get back into the story because uh, the story is also what draws me. But it's it's been a fun game. It's very visually beautiful. Um, I have a reasonable PC. I have a um, GTX 1060 um, and a 16 meg of RAM. Uh, although the the GTX 1060, I think, is a three gig. They recommend like a four gig for the video RAM. Gotcha. Uh, but it's it's been good. It's been reasonable on this machine. It really surprised me when uh, Cyberpunk 2077 came out. And it was so horrible on the PS4 and the Xbox because like if it hadn't come out when it did, there wouldn't be the PS5 or the next Xbox. So how were they developing it (laughs) for the last like eight years or so? Right. Because it's been a long time coming. It's it's been a long time coming. Um, And it's like, why, why does it not run on machines like the Xbox and the PS4? You know, that, that really surprised me. But other than that, I had a pretty relaxing time off at the end of the year to round out 2020, you know, COVID obviously still had us be at home, but, uh, we had a good, we had a good set of holidays and, uh, I was able to take a decent amount of time off and kind of, ah, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling positive about 2021. So good. What have you been doing? Yeah, I had a, I had a nice break, but it was, uh, I feel like my job, the day job, I just like plunged right back into it. It was, you know, it's like, cause like, I work at a college. And so the start of our semester was pushed out, I think two weeks, but still like, there's just all of this work to be done. And everybody's got all this, like it's, it's the same for everybody, right? Like we have all of this stuff that we're trying to get done before the term begins. And it's, uh, it's just a ton of work. So yeah, you were mentioning about like, because all the COVID stuff, you have to deal with, you know, uh, what is it? The contact tracing plus, yeah, yeah. plus so all your other normal stuff and virtual classes. Right. Let's get ready for the start of term. We have the stu- our students are coming back. Uh, so we have to figure out how to get them kits, right? So we have to send the mails to, you know, so email them, not email them. You can't email them a kit, but you have to yeah. <laughs> send them the link so that they can request the kit so they can do the kit so that they can come back and they have, a you know, it's just, and then there's all of these other things and like any complex system, you know, we're just trying to stay ahead of things because in a complex system, you make a couple of changes and the ripple effects just spread out. Right. Yep. So yep. it's made for a, a crazy, crazy January, but you know, I'm, I'm getting there. I have, uh, if I wasn't buried under work, <laughs> I was also buried under books. Uh, I have, I have a lot of books, Dave. That's, I think I may have that's, that's <laughs> may not have a, overboard. <laughs> that's, that's not a bad problem to have. So, well, you know, my, my birthday's in December and oh. then there's, there's Christmas. And so when, when you're a December baby, you get like this one, two punch, right? So it's, you, you get all your presents at once and mm-hmm. everybody knows about RPGs. So I got a lot of RPGs. So, um, at the top of the pile, the first thing that hit me in the head was uh, Scum and Villainy, which I know you're familiar with. That's, that's so this is my... you know, Blades in the Dark in Space, basically, right? Yep. Um, yep. Uh, by, uh, let's see, Evil Hat. So I've, that I've one... totally stolen things from uh, Scum and Villainy slash Blades in the Dark for the Star Wars D6 campaign. I'm using Ooh, like I the clocks. Totally that. I'm using <laughs> yes. the clocks in there. Um, worked really well. 
Um, and I, I, I'm planning on slowly tweaking more stuff uh, in that game in a similar vein. So then I got uh, Tome of Beasts, which is this massive book of monsters by Cobalt Press. Cool. Um, lots of monsters for fifth edition. I am a sucker for monsters. I have I love buying monster books. Got it. And so with my fifth edition lunchtime game, I have been drawing upon almost entirely from uh, Arcana of the Ancients, which was by Monty Cook's uh, current company. I think it's Monty Cook Games and then um, the the Tome books because they're non-standard monsters. Like the people are surprised when they're encountering them. Like I I have a smattering of more standard races, but those tend to be the more civilized ones, right? Like they're just encountering weird stuff that they have to figure out, which is cool. That's cool. I got the... Uh, Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, which I'm showing David these books. You guys can't see it, but someday yep. I'm practicing for when we live stream this, right? Right. So I got this because the inspiration I understand is it's a, it's basically horror Dungeons and Dragons in the frozen north of the Forgotten Realms. And so I may never run this, but I'm intrigued by the premise and their inspiration. Uh, a good chunk of their inspiration was The Thing. Yeah. Um, which, That's- you know. Yeah, the John Carpenter's The Thing, I would imagine. Yes, John Carpenter's The Thing. Which is excellent movie, still holds up today. Oh, yes, it does. I mean, I think it's... It, the, the practical effects are truly astounding. Yep. And if you want to start yet another game, I would play that. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I don't have to show you. I got I got a box set, which made me really excited. It's the Destroyer of Worlds box set adventure for... Uh, uh, Free League's Alien, the role-playing game, which oh, we talked wow. about Alien previously. Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely like I'm I'm just squirreling it away for post-COVID because basically it's an adventure in a box. It comes up with like these really nice one-sheeters for your characters. It's got a two-sided map where you, the adventure takes place. It's got a uh, well-written scenario. It doesn't come with dice, but it is a nice little box set. So Very that's cool. got me excited. And haven't read it yet, but I heard good things about it. And you play Colonial Marines, which I think. As we may have discussed previously, if I have any chance of getting my friends to play Alien, it's going to be as Colonial Marines. Right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this later as to why I ended up getting these. So I got uh, Fate of Cthulhu. Yep. Again, yep. <laughs> David. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, time traveling. I'm an time enabler. Are, yeah, you're totally <laughs> enabler. This podcast <laughs> is just costing me money. Uh, actually, I actually did go and buy this one. I didn't get it for Christmas, but time travelers from the future try and prevent a cthulhu inspired uh, apocalypse and then also monster of the week which i think we've also discussed yep which is uh powered by the apocalypse style you know buffy the vampire slayer slash supernatural kind of games and uh the last thing uh by jonathan hicks is those dark places which is a slender little role-playing game it's an industrial science fiction role-playing inspired by the likes of aliens and just kind of like those grittier sci-fi <laughs> settings. The Blade cool. Runner, I think. Um, that kind of thing. So I was intrigued. But, you know, so yeah, I have I have entirely too many books. I was sitting here the other day going, I, I'm actually going to have to start carving out time to just start reading these, or I'm never going to make any progress. Maybe my summer reading list will just be about RPGs instead of, <laughs> <laughs> instead of novels this year. Yep. But I will say some of this has been inspired by our, our, our weekly game for the Army Corps of Engineers Special Operations Group. So as David was alluding to, I got to run my first game of fate ever this week, which I think I stressed about it more than I needed to. <laughs> like I was just trying to get my head around the game, right? And I think, think the challenge is, and I think you've encountered this as well, like it's a different 
it's different from the games I normally run. Yeah. So uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Savage Worlds are my two kind of go-to games, and they're not that dissimilar. Like the the, guy, the game mechanic for Savage Worlds is a little different because you've got exploding dice, but at the same time you've got edges. Well, those are kind of like feats, and mm-hmm. you've got you know you have a skill tree. You can just go, hey, go make a notice check. Okay, sure, it's perception in D anD D, but you know, not that too far off. Yep. Um, Savage Worlds is classless, but you know whatever, right? Fate, man. Fate has aspects, and and really, I think the thing that I have always enjoyed about it is that the aspects are such an important part of world building. And so what I found as I was running the game, and I kind of checked myself about halfway through, was I was falling back into this mode of just like, well, you know, you, you guys are trying to find evidence of this monster near Mount St. Helens. Well, just, just make me a notice check. Make me a notice check, right? And that's not, that's fine at, to a certain point. But then we started talking to, at one point, you wanted to aid one of the other characters. And I was like, okay, well, like, how do we do aid another? And then I'm like realizing, oh, well, wait, the cool thing about fate is you're, you have these aspects that you can tag. That's how your character can add to their roles. That's how you actually succeed. So you kind of need to describe the world in those, in that context. So when you create an advantage, you're actually creating an aspect that they can tag. Yep. Right. So it's not just aid another like in D&D where it just happens or Savage Worlds where you have to make a skill check. It's, I'm going to make a check and if I do it, I've I've defined something new in the world that the other characters can use, which I think is very cool. Yeah. But so it my brain a little bit. <laughs> yeah. For, so as an example for those out there who may not be familiar with this, um, so like my character, not good at investigation, um, but the, the, the uh, Dr. Serena, the other character, she is good at investigation, even though she's a marine biologist and we're on land. Which is one of her aspects is the fact that she's a, a marine biologist on land sort of thing. Uh, so kind of like a fish out of water. But she's trying to investigate. So I did, uh, I, I created an advantage, uh, which basically creates a, a temporary aspect that can get invoked for free for a little while. And uh, so what I did was I gridded out like a like an archaeological dig with with sticks and and string and stuff like that. So she could go between there. Um, and so I did, I'm trying to remember what it was physique or something like that. It, <laughs> uh, driving stakes as, like, Cause I'm driving stakes <laughs> in the ground and, and putting wire around it or, or uh, string around it. You know, like, like I was building my deck, you know, in real life a few years ago. Uh, so I did that and using physique because I didn't have an uh, investigation uh, allowed me to create the advantage that uh, Dr. Serena, when she rolled for her investigation, could choose to invoke to either get a plus two or to re-roll her dice or, you know, I think there's one or two others that I'm, I'm forgetting right now, but like different effects that could happen to, to have a better chance at a good result. And yeah, that's that's something that's difficult to pick up with in fate sometimes is like when to when to say there, there's basically four actions that you do at any time creating an advantage um overcoming um the attacking and i think defending uh maybe not defending i can't remember it now uh, but this shows you how often we've played um right. <laughs> you know we'll, we're we getting there digging our books off the shelf but we won't do that to you guys <laughs> yeah um i'm not i'm not opening up the pdf right now uh, so, uh, actually I won't. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's really, um, it's been interesting. I, I like 
fate condensed because they have literally condensed it from when they originally came out with it in spirit of the century uh which is an excellent setting and and role-playing game system and in general uh you know it's still viable to play um still recommend it but yeah that doing that and then uh also one of the things and it's not unique to fate uh is you know when you choose to have someone make a skill roll um it can't just be success the story continues fail the story is paused you know it's like right. you know um like in uh in blades in the dark which we mentioned earlier if you're unlocking a lock on a heist and you fail um well you get through the door you eventually get through the door but maybe you made a little too much noise or took a little too much time and the clocks the clock that says the guards are alerted has filled in a couple more wedges um till when the guards are actually alert and actively right. looking for intruders um you know so there's a consequence to it and but the story doesn't stop uh whereas you know like D still kind of today but definitely when we first started was like oh you failed to pick the lock roll again roll again roll again or you can't try again until next level i right. think that or was you can't try again until next level or that was like first edition right it was right. something ridiculous nope. it's an impossible lock you can't open it better get another rogue right yep yep i do remember that i don't remember uh i, I don't know of any dungeon where you'd leave it and get a level and then come back anyway Right. But, you know, I mean, I can see Gary Gagax, you know, that was, was the kind of guy he was right. Like he. Yeah. It, but it was <laughs> it was a way to prevent that roll again, roll again, roll again um, instead right. of, oh, OK, we'll go ahead and roll again. We're going to roll on the wander monster table. See what happens. Right. And maybe a monster happens by when you're ch- when you're open the next one. Right. <laughs> so I think one of the other things I, I, I was somehow my Google with. home decided that I was talking to it. I don't know why. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. My, my device is, my watch occasionally decides, oh, hey, you know, did you make an internet request? Like, I've, I returned these search results for you. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, one of the other things I was struggling with, um, and, and so I, like NPC creation actually in Fate is really straightforward. I was making it harder than it needed to be. Um, it's really just like an aspect and a couple of skills. And if they're more robust or a little more of a challenge, add more skills, add more aspects, right? Yep. Pretty much. But also, like describing the scene, right? Because we haven't quite gotten to this far in the adventure, but like there's going to be times where, like, there's going to be elements of the scene that are clearly aspects that you would want to be able to tap, that are available to be invoked mm-hmm. to help the PC. Like, thinking through this stuff, it's the kind of like world building scene dressing that you don't necessarily have to do in D&D, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so it, it makes you, you have to think about that a little more. And that's one of the reasons why I rationalized getting fate of cthulhu because i was hoping as a campaign book it would give me like some inspiration and fodder for for how to you know just kind of do the adventures and also yeah you, you sold it really well <laughs> i mean terminator meets terminator meets cthulhu kind of sells itself in my mind so i did say i mentioned this i got it in my game in my sunday gaming group which right now we're playing uh D. no wait right now we're playing savage worlds but we're going to start a alternating D game and yep. I mentioned it, I described it, and one of my friends was like, I will play that in a heartbeat. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, cool. I've, I've run... Time travel in Cthulhu. I think I found the thing to get guys to play Fate. <laughs> yep, I've, I've, I have run a game in that, and it was a lot of fun. So, 
yeah, would play again. So the last thing I'm encountering as part of just this adventure was like mystery writing is hard. <laughs> we talked a little bit about this the other night, but like the mechanics of coming up with a mystery that doesn't stymie people, right? And that like you do get your success and, they, and like you don't like whatever's obvious to the DM is never obvious to the players. Like, so you're right. trying to figure out something fairly straightforward. I'm still learning the rules. So I originally started writing the adventure and I'm like, ah, oh, this is kind of boring. Like, it's just another mob bug hunt. But at the same time, I don't actually know the rules yet. So I don't know that I'm ready to go out and start like figuring out how to do challenge, like all these other things I could pull out of a toolbox. Yep. Yep. And so that was, that was the other reason why I got uh fate of Cthulhu to help with, kind of understanding how that kind of stuff might work. But then that's the reason why I got Monster of the Week, because I was also looking for inspiration, like, okay, we've, we're doing Monster of the Week effectively, like, you know, if that's part of what the campaign is. Yep. What do those kind of adventures look like, right? Are they always, like, what are the variations? And I, I could also do this by binge-watching, you know, a couple seasons of Supernatural, which I'm probably due for. Supernat- Supernatural, Warehouse 13, maybe Eureka, the old Friday the 13th, the series... You know, those those are all good. Brimstone was is also another one that, you know, that they're all the same formula in that sense. Right. Yeah. So I'm struggling. And so, yeah. you know, that was my excuse to buy another book. <laughs> OK, I mean, it's not hard, not hard to get those excuses uh, on, my, on my end. Yeah, I I mean, our, our main topic that's coming up is is looking through our drive through RPG libraries and seeing what gems that we bought and forgot we brought bought there. But I know that I could go through my bookshelves or, or down my basement from the still still in boxes from my last move of like, what, what games do I own that I have never played, but read and what games have I never played and never read in that, that are, that are down there. Like I've, I haven't fully read, like I, I, I grok most of the ideas behind Monster of the Week, but I couldn't tell you how the system works exactly. I know it's kind of harsh. There's always like a pen, almost like unless you roll really well on two die six, which is not easy to do. There's almost always some sort of penalty happening to your action. Like you might succeed, but there's a cost to it. Um, yeah, you know, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's not the uh having having lots of game books and not played most of them is totally understandable to me. <laughs> I I Well, in- which, as we venture into the RPG vault, uh, oh look, so so many more books. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like yep. it occurs to me that there are just so many libraries. We actually have the in the in the layer of secrets, we have the the compounded problem of so many libraries that we're losing track of libraries on top of having lost a track of the books that are in said library. Right. Right. And some of them are fairly virtual libraries. You know, right. you, you have to go <laughs> into the machine, like, like at the beginning of Tron, get digitized and go into that library. Um, but it's like a cubic centimeter on a side, if you were to look at it from the real world, but that the RPG vault is vast uh, between yes. between our drive through RPG vaults, uh, it's pretty vast set of libraries. Um, I have an itch.io vault as well uh, that I got when I did the bundle for racial racial justice uh, this last summer, which had seventeen hundred titles of different things. So not as many, more than I have in drive through RPG, but I was uh, that was one purchase 
was over 1700 <laughs> items and I've gone through maybe 20 so far. Right. It's an embarrassment of riches. We yes. have, we have so, so many, uh, so many things. Like, so I was just, I did the quick numbers between the two of us looking at our RPG vaults. We have 500, we have 1077 items in our yep. respective RPG libraries combined. Now we have not seen if those are unique items. Um, and I'm very yeah, curious to see if we both have <laughs> some of these things. I suspect we do. So my numbers, and then uh, we'll, you know, run down uh, David's numbers. So I got 590 total. Um, again, my sources are, are similar to, to David's, like uh, through relief bundles. Uh, I got a number. I think I probably increased it by like a quarter with the Black Lives Matter fundraisers from over the summer. And a number of Kickstarters, you know, I've contributed to a number of Kickstarters over the years. So that that's very minute, although those probably have a higher percentage of actually having been downloaded than, unfortunately, the bundles. So of the 590 items, 413 were never downloaded, uh, which tells you something. That's that's like 80. That's like 80 percent. Yeah, sad percentage. <laughs> <Or> close. <laughs> a little, little less that's than 80, a- but. Yeah, I mean, and not. I mean, not all items are created equal, right? This right. is this is including maps and tokens and and a variety of other things that I might never actually have a legitimate use case for. But of those, there's 172 core rulebooks. It's a lot of core rulebooks. It's a lot of core uh, rulebooks. 250 fantasy titles, 166 science fiction titles, and 117 horror titles. So, a lot of stuff. Yep. You also have a lot of stuff. <laughs> I do. Uh, not quite as much as you, uh, mainly because uh, since I did the itch.io bundle and, and other stuff, I did not get the the similar bundles that were on drive through RPG at the same time. But uh, but they were worthy causes. So, you know, I, I, I went and, and donated to those. So and then got RPG books out of them. So I have four hundred and eighty seven. Uh, compared to 590 for Ken for my total number of items, uh, 254 were never downloaded. So a little more than half. But You're I doing think better than I am. <laughs> well, I think most of that is because I I I believe I've only gotten one or two like relief or like hurricane bundles, mm-hmm. and so when you get a a large amount from that, you know those those may not not everything there would necessarily appeals to you, right or it's something that, you know, I haven't really run a game with it yet. So that's another thing. Uh, Kickstarter is another big one. And usually I will get the PDF and print version. So that's another reason why I may not have the download is because I have the print book. So I'd rather read it if I have a chance. Like I have the Role Player's Guide to Heists, which is a, an interesting book. But uh, it's I I don't believe I've downloaded it. <laughs> uh, I've seen the... <laughs> I, I saw a draft copy of it in PDF, but I don't think I've downloaded the RP, drive-through RPG version. 225 fantasy titles, 126 science fiction titles, 37 horror titles. I'm I'm not as keen a fan of horror as uh, as Ken is, <laughs> uh, but I do have 43 STL bundles. I'll call them bundles because some of them have one model in it. Uh, oh, STL is basically this the file format for 3D printers. And I call them bundles because some purchases are a single model and some purchases are uh, like all the pieces to craft, to print out an in to stick on your table um, or or different parts to build a dungeon in 3D in uh, 3D printed dungeon tiles. 
I haven't really pulled any of those down recently because, well, COVID, everything's virtual right now. Uh, and my printer's broken, unfortunately. I may, I can probably fix the printer. Actually, I know I can fix the printer. It's just how much time do I want to spend on it? And the problem is, is that the printer I have was a budget printer. So the print bed is not super big. About two thirds of the uh, of the models that I own, I can't fit on the print bed and will not be able to print. So I'm I'm looking at uh, moving up uh, print uh, printers uh, from the budget one, uh, which is the PrinterBot Play. Unfortunately, PrinterBot went out of business. They were a really good company, but they just did not survive. I'm looking at getting a one of the Prusa printers, which are more expensive. But I know the quality rather than a knockoff from like a Chinese manufacturer or someone who's taken the open source plans and tried to make their right. own. I right. know that Prusa has the support behind it. Put it that way. Uh, and when you order the kit, they give you a package of gummy bears and tell you when to take breaks and eat a gummy bear or two as you're <laughs> assembling the printer. Um, friend of, friend of mine just, just got, she got one recently and, uh, and, and, uh, shared that experience with us, which is pretty cool. Yes. So I will say like when, like when I use the art, how I've typically used my drive through RPG archive has been as like, I'm working on a science fiction campaign. And so I go trolling through it, looking for yep. something relevant. <laughs> I've I done the same. I ended up with a lot of horror titles, right? Like I don't tend to run a lot of horror, but I'll occasionally pull in, like I'm looking for some weird new monster. I mean, heck I might do that for the, um, the army Corps of engineers campaign right you're just like you're, you're looking for inspiration wherever you can find it so you spin the wheel of <laughs> rpg-ness and see yep. what you can find in your uh in your vault yep and and some of the, all the metaphors <laughs> yeah some of the stuff is not like like some of the stuff i have is you know uh very small press stuff so you know the graphics aren't so good but if you if you dig in and read it some of the ideas are are actually pretty cool you know, and, and some of the stuff is, uh, you know, just, well, unfortunately a miss, uh, and some, you know, so it's, it, it is definitely a mixed bag and the bigger it gets, the more difficult, uh, <laughs> more difficult it gets to <laughs> keep track of. Let's see. Uh, I think the one thing that overlaps for both of us is the, the Ion codex. Um, indeed top of my list. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the zine of wondrous power. Uh, and the, the Ion Codex actually was the appendix to the Zenith Wondrous Power. Uh, but High Moon Press, Daniel's a, uh, I'm a friend of Daniel's. I don't know. Have you ever met Daniel? Yes. Yeah. Back okay. in our podcasting days. Yep. Probably that, probably yes. that one origins when we were yes. like all together. Yeah, we stayed kind of connected vaguely, like our mutual friend, uh, Baron Kinsman. Cool. We kind of like talk in the same RPG circles. And so nice. like we. Chit-chat. And and he's actually very close to me geographically at this point. He's only like a state away. So, yeah, last I knew he had been in Florida, but then I then I I, I had lost touch for a little while and then realized he'd, he'd moved again. So he's currently got a YouTube series out about hiking. Uh, interestingly so enough, have that, so, now, like, have that in common, too. So, like, <laughs> geeks in the wilderness. Hopefully we'll survive. Yep. At the top of my list is the very top of my list. And I think this is just because I, I must be sorting it by uh, last downloaded or maybe purchased, I don't honestly know what this is sorted by, is the Fate Adversary Toolkit, which I did download and can recommend. It's a, it's definitely a good book if you're trying to, like, say, I don't know, come up with encounters for your Fate campaign at the last minute. 
Yeah, let's. Yeah, but let me take a look. So I got a a Spark and Fate Core, which is not by Evil Hat, which is Genesis of Legend Publishing. It's basically the process of world building for Fate, and I grabbed it. It's actually a free PDF, and I thought it would be if I I read through that, that might be something you and I could work on for uh, the Army Corps of Engineers game to kind of more lay down a, a few more facts aspects or whatever that we could that we could tag as gms to right. uh, to help create our own adventures <laughs> but you said the fate i do n- oh wait no I'm only showing t- fate adversary rulebook it's the adversary toolkit that's amazing it's got a series me. of it's, it's yeah it's cool like because it, it's not just in fate it's not just you know monsters or bad guys that are the adversaries it's um it's the environment, you know, so they get into traps and clocks and, and other ways of introducing uh, drama into your fate game. So it's, oh, it's definitely cool. worth uh, checking out. Cool. Um, browsing through my list, I came across Archives of the Sky, which I, I have no idea when and where I got it. But it's uh, looks like it's a science fiction, science fiction game. And they describe it as... A narrative RPG, which isn't a game in a traditional sense. So now I'm intrigued. I think I need to go out and download this thing. <laughs> so it has beautiful, like space opera style art. And so I don't remember hearing about it. It won. Let's see, did it win anything? It's by Aaron A. Reed. So Aaron, your your game intrigues me. <laughs> cool. So I think I got to go. I think I got to go look at that. And one of the things that, that David and I were talking about was like picking some stuff from our list and just delving into it and like say, hey, you know, what do we think of these particular games? Let's see, you got anything else on your list? Um, yeah. So I'll try to not sh- say all the fate things. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll do another one later. Uh, I, let's see. Oh, that's a comic book. Okay. So comics also, they have, they have drive through comics as well. So it looks like I have a uh, 2000 AD comic in here. So I'm a, I'm a Judge Dredd fan um, from a long time ago. A little disturbing in today's modern times with the whole stuff in there. Anyway, um, so, uh, oh, the other one, I, we were talking about this before we recorded. Uh, Hocus Focus. It's a Dresden fiasco, um, which is so there's a, a role playing game called Fiasco, which is if you can if you know about like Coen Brothers films like Reservoir Dogs or uh, oh shoot, my my go to one. I just forgot the name of the one set was like like Wisconsin or Michigan. Can't remember the name of it where the, at one point a person's like feeding a guy into a wood chipper and then the cop comes up oh, on it. Fargo. Fargo. Yes. Fargo. So like, like once you get the wood chipper, you yes. know the movie. <laughs> right. Um, the, I mean, it's basically, it's like the, the setup for fiasco is here's all these fairly, here's all these people that have a, that seem to have some sort of common goal, but they all have their own agendas. And, things just go wrong. Um, you know, like I've never heard of a fiasco game that like ended happily, you know, for the, for the characters, <laughs> for the players, it's all been a riot, but you know, right. something's going to go wrong 
and you lean into that. And so right. Hocus Focus, you play the bit, the evil bads in a Dresden, you know, that Dresden is trying to track down. Um, and I haven't read, uh, I just read the blurb on it, but it seems like fun. I've never actually played fiasco and it just seems like, Oh, so there's a, so there's, there's some dark Fae and a vampire and another va- vampire of a different thing or whatever. And they all have this common goal, but they all want it for themselves perhaps, or something like that. And, and, the pressure of Dresden hunting them, you know, and them backstabbing each other. I'm, I'm sure it will go amazingly sideways <laughs> and I would love to play that. Yes. Yeah. The, I will say that the tagline for fiasco, which I think tells you everything you need to know about the game is a game about powerful ambition and poor impulse control. Yes. And uh, yeah. if you're playing it right, that's exactly how it should go. And it's hilarious and a tremendous amount of fun. Yep. Yeah. Uh, why don't you, what you've, I've done more things than you so why don't you why don't we pick another one of yours came across this one uh you know it's like i'm just spinning the wheel on my uh on my mouse and seeing what happens when it when it comes down so sigils in the dark by uh kurt potts Hmm. uh this is a journaling game and gm supplement the goal of the game is to create an evil mage's spell book you take up the role of this wizard with a desperate need in search of arcane power to get what they want interesting it's an 11 11 page pdf with solo journaling and sigil drawing and uh i'm i'm kind of fascinated now given uh, my love of bullet journaling uh one that i just spun on um i have to give full warning i know jerry grayson uh of kafara publishing uh but i i really enjoy his work stuff uh we do cowboy dracula together but it, it spun up on, under my wheel which is godsend agenda the D6 version. I know that there's a new version coming out. It's currently in development. But the premise behind Godsend Agenda is uh, aliens thousands of years ago came to Earth. And so all a lot of the different gods that have been throughout our history are one of, I believe, three or four, actually. Uh, Angelos, Atlanteans, Chimerans, or Elohim. One of those four races and or factions in modern day uh you are you're part of a uh like a pseudo governmental organization that's trying trying to track those things down and such and i might be mixing two different of his games but basically (laughs) basically it is a superhero game with a a rich history to it um, that is not Marvel and DC. Um, it's, it's really pretty cool. And Jerry actually has this concept that I have really started to, uh, uh, subscribe to, which is almost every game is a superhero game or, you know, or can be, you know, there, there's, you know, there's street level superheroes, there's cosmic level superheroes, uh, in your normal comic books, but in D and D, like just standard Dungeons and Dragons, you guys are superheroes, you know, especially fifth edition. You don't have traumatic injuries that force you to be laid up in bed for a month. You know, you're you're back to full after a long rest. You know, uh, you're you're throwing fireballs. You're you're the best swordsman ever. Um, you're you're superheroes in a fantasy setting. Yes. 
I think, I mean, honestly, like I, I've long thought that uh, like the best D&D movie is actually Thor, right? Like the, the original Thor, right? When they show okay. up, like the moment when Thor and his friends go to the, the land of the frost giants, right? Yep. And, or maybe it's just Thor. I think it may be just Thor, but like he's doing all the things you're describing, right? Like yeah. he is like a 15th level, 18th level character and he is just laying waste to everything. And, and one of the concerns I have for what they do, I think I've heard talk of a D&D movie and a D&D series is that they're like, it can't be fantasy because fantasy is not D&D. <laughs> right? Dungeons and Dragons has fantasy aspects, but like you say, it's, it's really a lot of superhero in there, right? And yep. so you should be, there. there's going to be over the, there should be some amount of over the top ridiculousness that it's not the hobbits trying to sneak their way into Mordor. No campaign would do that. <laughs> yep. I, it's well, maybe some would, but you know, your average D and D campaign, they're going to figure out how to attack the trolls. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and there's a difference between a book and trying to play a game. There are sections of book that would be no Indeed. fun at all to try and play out. And, and I'm not saying that every single, I, I might've said this hyper, uh, with hyperbole, but not every single role-playing game out there is superheroes under another skin but right. you know, there are some out there that are very different but you know vampire the masquerade is superheroes who are vampires you know they all have these special powers etc cetera, etc cetera. and and you know you could you could view it through that lens you don't have to but you right. certainly can right and i mean honestly even in the lord of the rings movie we see things like that kind of super heroic thing like where you've got like was it legolas goes anything, sliding down the trunk of the oliphant right? anything and legolas like, does anything anything right. legolas does <laughs> um yeah so i got another one uh stars without number revised edition this is old school retro sci-fi role-playing game uh, i've flirted with this thing a lot when i've run science fiction games i think i downloaded the original one but i didn't download the revised edition uh, it's got like world building resources, a hundred uh, adventure seeds, um, old school compatible rules for guns and cyberware and starships and psionics and stuff. So I've never actually read the whole book. And clearly I haven't downloaded the most re most recent one, but uh, I'm intrigued, especially since I'm running a sci-fi game right now. Cool. Well, I'm one of those running a sci-fi game right now. <laughs> I didn't know I had this in my library, but the name really caught me. I'm not going to read. I'm not. I'm going to read most of the description, but I'm going to skip over the title and then I'm going to tell you all the title because I think it'd be funnier. Uh, <laughs> we enter the world of kung fu movies and over the top action. Whether you choose to play the original cast of Squirrels with their new goals provided or the new cast of Wrong Guardians of the Last Dragon, you are sure to encounter fun at every turn. The, uh, there's more to the description talking about particular. Uh, particular characters and their names. Uh, the game, however, is Shaolin Squirrels Nuts of Fury. And uh, it's by Interwelt. Um, I've never heard of it before. Uh, no idea if it's good or bad. But one of the things in there it says, is your squirrel, squirrel few strong, three color maps, five new characters, including Bobu the Panda, uh, it says new characters, so this might be a reprint or or like a second edition, or it's based off a comic book or something. I'm not sure. Uh, the Han Man, Pan Do, and Pan Don't, 
uh, Cat Ninjas, uh, <laughs> comes with an adventure and new magic items like the house special pot stickers and tempuri bowl, and new techniques like Iron Chef and Sword Padu. So, yeah, uh, I like doing one shots occasionally. Um, I used to do a one shot every uh, New Year's Eve, and this sounds like a good one shot game for me. That sounds like a fantastic one shot game for you. <laughs> so my next spin of the wheel or roll of the mouse or what have you is uh, Creatures in the Wastelands, a menagerie, a menagerie of mutants and uh, mutants and mutations revised edition from Skirmisher Publishing. It has more than 200 creatures, 50 mutations, terrain types, non-creature hazards, plant mutations, parasite mutation type, the insidious silver sheet, <laughs> mysterious smart stones. It's uh, compatible with Mutant Future and uh, Labyrinth Lord, which if you're not familiar, those are basically retro clones of D&D. Again, no idea where I got it from. It's like, you know, you just... When you buy the bundles, right, it's like you just went to a convention and you just like got all the swag from all the vendors and you just like get back to your 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 hotel room, right, and just dump it all out on the bed, <laughs> onto yep. your bed. You're like, yep. oh my gosh, look at all this cool stuff I got. So this is handy for my uh, Scales of Truth campaign since that's all about mutations. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to do one more. And this one is less of a spin. It, it's a spin of the wheel. Uh, I landed near it. But since I did just do Shaolin, Squirrels, Nuts of Fury, uh, I do have to plug uh, a friend of mine. It's Ethereal Forge is the is the company uh, that he's with. Um, it's Ninja Burger, the RPG second edition. And this, it's uh, Michael Fiegel. And I hope I pronounced that correctly because I can never remember if it's Fiegel or Feigl. And it's the PDQ system which originally came out from Atomic Stock Monkey Press. But it's a Ninja Burger is the world's only fast food chain run by Ninja and is looking for new recruits. Um, <laughs> do you have what it takes to work for them? Pirates need not apply. Uh, the second edition of the award-winning Ninja Burger RPG has been completely revamped and rewritten. Um, and basically the idea is you are uh, part of the Ninja Burger franchise. Uh, you, you are part of a Ninja Burger franchise and uh, each of you take the form of like a cook and a driver and a delivery agent and things like that. If you've ever read Snow Crash with the beginning of Snow Crash with the pizza driver with his I love that with his super high tech car, that's sort of I that sort of idea. Um, and you're delivering food to people like in IT in clean rooms that are in high security areas um, but you don't have clearance to get in there um, and they really hungry. So they order food expecting you to get it to them somehow. And so, uh, you know, and of course you are, oh yeah, it's, it's not the driver. It's the deliverator is the name of the, of that, that, uh, <laughs> of course that job title, shall we say. And uh, you know, I, I, we played it in, in the game master show one time and we drove, uh, basically our, the food truck slash van over rooftops and used, uh, slices of salami as ninja stars. And it was amazing fun. Uh, and I highly recommend it. 
So I will go out on, uh, in, in some ways, I think this may have partially been what inspired us, or I, I think we just wandered into our drive through RPG inventories for no good reason one day. And I was star- startled to find Twilight 2000, which apparently I got in 2004. <laughs> Never downloaded it. It has been resting, dreaming in my archive ever since, um, which I just find utterly fascinating since I haven't played it since eighth grade. Um, and we talked about the box set, the new box set that's coming out that I kickstarted. So I think I got to download this thing for old time's sake. I also have Twilight 2000. So I have a feeling we got the same bundle at some point because I learned about it in college. Uh, a, a friend of mine was really, really into it, but I was never able to get into his game uh, to play it. Um, it sounded cool. You and I have talked about it a few times, but and I own it, but I I never played it and never opened it. Uh, but it is one of those games that like, so fate is on one side where you have a lot of narrative control and the players have a lot of narrative control and it's very open almost, uh, but not quite, uh, improv style openness and twilight 2000 from what I understand is like, here's the sheets, here's the tables if you're firing this particular kind of ammunition against this particular kind of, of uh, target and with, with a particular kind of armor, this is how much damage you might or might not do. That sounds familiar. It's very crunchy. <laughs> I think the new version is meant to be like honor the spirit of, of twilight 2000 without actually getting into the ridiculous level of countryness, crunchiness of yeah. uh, twilight 2000. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I'm going to download it and, and check it out because it's been, my my eighth grade self is intrigued and demands that I uh, I go and look at it. Cool, very cool. Yeah, I, I mean that Twilight two thousand is a product of its age. I think is is like there were many crunchy RPGs out at that time. Um, it was just that was how they were designed back then. You know that was right. the evolution of role playing games at that time. Right. I mean, your character probably wasn't going to die in character creation, but maybe soon thereafter. Right. This is this is not like a Red Dawn, although that inspired many of our adventures. Like, you're just going to go off and do stupid things. You're going to die. Your character is going to die. The gritty realism is just like, you just better start riling up a new character because... Yeah. I mean, Twilight 2000, if I uh, definitely came out after Red Dawn, so I'm, I imagine it was an inspiration... The original Red Dawn movie was an inspiration for this. I'm and sure. We were in the middle of Cold War when this thing came out. So, yeah. you know, a lot of the fears in there were uh, are definitely in there. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, it's not Traveler where you can die in character creation. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the early yeah. versions of Traveler. I don't know if you can still die in the most recent one. But uh, but yeah. Uh, that that was the other interesting thing I found out in uh, Burning Wheel. Sorry to get way back to that. Is uh, it has a life path sort of thing. I haven't read it, so I don't know if it's a true life path. But there's a definite process for character creation that certain things will happen during your character creation. So I am I am curious what your Burning Wheel will look like because this is what my Burning Wheel looks like. It's two separate books. Yep, I remember those. So- um, the one I, the, uh, let me, the one I am getting is called, I think it's burning wheel gold is what it's called. Yes. It's burning wheel gold revised and it combines both those books together. 
Mm, I'm opening my book. Smells like early podcasting. <laughs> so you have Burning Wheel. There's Burning War. Sorry, Burning Wheel. And then there's what's what's the other one? What's the second book? I have the character burner and the fantasy role playing system. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there's the system, and then there's the character burner as two separate books, and they put it together as one book with Burning Wheel Gold revised. Um, they do now have Burning Wheel Codex, which is the long, as they say, a long-awaited companion volume to Burning Wheel. Insight into build, building settings and adventures for Burning Wheel. Commentary on writing beliefs and instincts. A trove of magical arts and five new sets of life paths. Wizard Burner, Dark Elves, Rodin, Trolls, and Great Wolves. You can play Great Wolves as a character in Burning Wheel now. <laughs> Uh, truly a grimoire worthy of wizards and warriors everywhere. So yeah, I'm not getting that yet. If I haven't read the first one, uh, I, I, I mean, I could get the second one, but like, I just can't justify it if I don't have a game to play for it. But, um, (laughs) you know, that works so well for me. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to getting that. So I don't know when I, when and, or if I will ever play it. But um, I like it's about time that I picked it up and, and looked at it and read it. So I've it's been a interested good read. in it a while. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed yeah. it. I mean, I'll have to go back now, like I say, and look at it. But so anyway, yeah, this has been this is the story of our COVID lives. Uh, yep. <laughs> we have all of the books and maybe some time to read them. Looking so, inward. I mean, I would, looking inward instead of outward. How's, how, indeed. How, how about that? Indeed. Yeah. So I think uh, I think we're closing out near the end. I mean, we would love to hear what lurks in the depths of your gaming libraries, whether it be your physical library, your drive through RPG library, your HIO. Um, I actually have a fair number stacked up over on uh, Humble Bundle. Oh, so I got, shoot. Like, I forgot about Humble Bundle. <laughs> I've got like 20 Star Trek books now. <laughs> oh, and don't forget <laughs> like, the bundle of holding if you've ever gone there. Yeah, bundle holding too. So anyway, whatever your source, we'd love to hear what you guys have in your uh, vast libraries of RPG stuff. Uh, you can uh, give us your feedback and let us know what you've got by emailing us at podcast at lairofsecrets.com or via Twitter at lairofsecrets. You can also visit lairofsecrets.com and leave us some feedback, topic ideas, or your own ideas on what we've talked about. Thanks, everybody, and have a good day. <laughs>